Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. I am recovering somewhat from a small cold so uh, I will be chugging smoothies throughout this episode. It also means that I have been a little bit slack on my reading recently because what with one thing or another I have just not felt like it. But uh, I'm trying to get back on top of things so I will be reviewing today One Witch's Way by Bronwyn Forrest Torgerson. Um, and it was on the front cover, the byline is A Magical Year of Stories, Spells and Such. I don't really know how I feel about this book. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a, a bad book because, I, I mean, there's a lot of information in there that a lot of people would find interesting. I didn't find too much that was objectionable in there uh, or anything that was, like, against common sense. So it definitely feels like a, a good book in terms of um, workable uh, rituals and stuff that you could potentially adapt. But I did have some issues with it and I can't tell if that's because it is genuinely a dull book to read or because it is so similar to other books that I have read if it's just boring to me because I feel like I've already read it before if you see what I mean and I originally bought this because I was like oh cool it's uh the story of one witch it's going to be about their life uh, their practice it's going to be personal uh and it, it kind of wasn't there were kind of half page anecdotes throughout the book that didn't really go into anything in depth and um, which didn't really grab me as being particularly interesting and then the most of the book was given over to rituals and unfortunately the majority of them I would say about 75% were rituals designed for a group which I feel like the, the number of people practicing in a group is vastly outweighed by you know individuals like myself who are practicing solitaries and I don't really understand the point of having a book which is mostly rituals for a group with different roles for, for people and a lot of it was also talking about administration in a coven and how covens work and things like that which again not particularly relevant so I, quite, I think my experience with the book kind of suffered of I had this idea of it going in that it was going to be more of a personal look at one particular witch's life uh, and what I got was a sort of mishmash of stuff that I had read in in other books um, but we'll go into it and, and we'll see uh, if you think that there's anything uh, you can get out of it. And I would encourage you to read it because it, it's quite a well-written book in most respects. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll crack in on uh, what the book actually contains. Uh, I really liked the first page, uh, the foreword, which says um, the title of this book, One Witch's Way, is both a directional arrow and a declaration. Although we may all derive inspiration from many sources, after all the books have been replaced on our shelves and the acclaimed lecturers have turned out the lights and gone home, we are ultimately each one witch making magic in our own way. How each of us will individually respond when a phone call comes in the wee hours that necessitates an energy working, or when the need of the moment is now, depends on our circumstances and what lies at hand. A wizard once asked his apprentice, whose hand contains the magic? The answer, of course, is your own. Whatever works for you is valid. So I liked that. I liked that it was kind of accepting uh, on the outset of different paths, different ways of working. It did kind of undermine that, as we shall see in a moment. But uh, I, I liked it as a, a beginning, as a point at which to launch the book. It was it was pretty cool. I did have kind of an issue. I, I was enjoying the book up until around page 29. It's divided broadly into months of the year and then each month kind of has a theme like the month of January is sort of themed around finding a home and also stuff to do with your car basically these these big possessions where we spend quite a lot of our time uh, I kind of came unstuck in the February chapter because one she talks about um she leaves her coven basically to, to go do something else but she thinks about the the beads that were given out by her former priestess uh, for the initiates and uh, then she buys a set of beads that she just happens to find at a pair uh, at a fair 
and says, uh, had I been degreed by the hand of the gods? Because she says she clairaudiently heard we gave it to you in time for Imbo in joy. So it's kind of like it felt a little self-aggrandizing just to be like, oh, I saw this necklace and his voice in my head said, I'll buy it. And it makes you a priestess. It just it seemed a little bit weird. Um, so that gave me a little wobble. And then right underneath that, uh, she says this. If that was my first degree, my second was a doozy. Exactly one year later, a phone call came from a very upset Wiccan fellow. His girlfriend, a one-time Satanist, was up to her old evil ways. He caught her invoking demons in the den and changed the locks post-haste. Now, what to do about those nasty Gates of Hell vibes she'd thoughtlessly left behind? He wanted a house cleansing, a silver bullet and some sage, not necessarily in that order. I dialed up my former priestess, stammering out the wretched tale of what had been asked of me. One ought to be at least second or third degree to do work like that, I offered, trying to wiggle off the hook. Ha, she snorted. Either you knew this stuff or you didn't. Earn your field stripes, kid. She hung up and left me gaping at the phone. I assembled a SWAT team and we blitzed the place. Some chanted and rang bells, others made a boundary of capsicum all around the place so that evil might be kept at bay. In the boudoir hung a portrait of the departed Princess of Darkness, clad only in her cleavage and her crimson contact lenses. Her gaze seemed to burn a hole right through my soul. I went trembling to a mage who swiftly cleaned up the gnarly energy and neutralised the place. As for the Princess of Darkness, she's now belting out hymns and hallelujahs at the Liberty Street Gospel Church's tent revival show. She's found familiar friends. Who else but the devil himself has kept Christian churches in business all these years? And that's page 29 and 30. I had a lot of issues with this section. Um, one, as I've said before, like when I was reviewing uh, the Silver Ravenwolf book, you can be a Satanist and be a witch. I don't understand why people go and they're like, oh, but Satanism is bad. It's like, well, is it your religion? No. So why are you talking about it? Why have thoughts and feelings associated with something that you don't understand? So this is kind of an issue with the book is that it comes off very love and light Wiccan and in doing so condemns uh, a practitioner of Satanism now I don't know obviously the person in question or this like thing maybe there was something off about this woman and she was bad in other ways but to say that she is evil and that looking at her makes you like feel her evil in your soul uh, and to call her the princess of darkness just because you know she's practicing Satanism and you know working with demons that's just um seems a little bit hypocritical to me and and very unpleasant and kind of it's just like religious bias and hatred and then obviously you have to stick it to the christians right there at the end uh so it, it just came off as really kind of judgmental and awful especially the way she talks about like that she has a nude picture in her her boudoir uh, and it makes her like, oh, she feels the evil in her soul. It's like, oh, OK, so we'll just slut shame her because she dared have a, a nude picture of herself, I guess. And you have to like the fact that, you know, she's been kicked out of her home by her boyfriend and he's changed the locks. And then the spiritual SWAT team have come around. It just sounds disgusting. And maybe there was more going on there, but it's not in the book. All it says in the book is like, oh, she went back to her, her evil Satanist ways. And so she had to be thrown out of her house and have strangers come over in the middle of the night to like blast her energy away because she was so evil and disgusting 
Uh, so from that point on, I unfortunately didn't really have a lot of time for anything that the book had to say because I was still kind of reeling from this like large dose of prejudice right at the beginning. And uh, it, it didn't necessarily get better for me as I continued to read. And then right after that, uh, we get a little uh, a thing uh, about the author. She says that she used to share her um, backyard ritual space um, with some guy uh, who came to do ceremonial magic there. And then one night he just called her up and said, oh, I need to ordain you in some way. And she's like, but why? And she never really finds out for what and then she gets a, a universal life church credential in the mail what she actually says is this bs roared into my driveway and dashed into the ritual space with an armload of tiki torches shoving them into the ground he lit them then thrust at me a sword swear to the watchtowers he ordered swear what i asked you guessed it i would know when the time was right Impromptu oaths done bs dug a sterile lance out of his pocket and squeezed three drops of blood from my freshly picked pricked thumb yow that hurt why in the hell did he do that yup you know the answer say it with me boys and girls he daubed my blood on a knotted chunk of rope onto which was dripped red wax to seal my vow my universal life church ulc credentials would arrive in the mail soon he said and so they did i buried the rope in the desert not wanting the cops to stop me for a taillight and suspect me of darker deeds in keeping with his secretive tradition bs never mentioned the ulc website or disclosed that i could have signed up online and dispensed with the theatrics why? Guess I'll know when the time is right. So just to cover this, a random guy just like comes to a house and is like, oh, I need to ordain you for something. You enter into a ritual with them without asking what the ritual is for or what it will involve, even though it does involve like taking some of your blood. And then after performing it, you get like ordained into this church uh, and you're told that, oh, actually, you didn't even need to do that ritual in the first place. That sounds sketchy as hell and again is another one of these examples of just like with the beads on, on the earlier page it's like things just being handed to this person it doesn't really seem like they're having to work for anything like oh the gods gave me this necklace to ordain me and then this other guy just randomly showed up at my house to you know give me ordination into this church for no reason i'm not saying that that is how it was but that's how it's coming across in the book and i feel like maybe a little bit more time and effort could have been taken to make it sound i mean less weird on page 49 there's a ritual called uh, sorting it out with sticks that's to do with like a lot of i guess native american stuff you know talking to grandfathers of the east you're talking about eagles offering tobacco and stuff like that now, the author says that that is their heritage, which is fine, but I feel like it's weird to include that in a book that is just for general consumption of lots of different witches. And it just seemed odd to me that that would be included. And it wasn't really something that I felt like a lot of people would get use from. Um, but that's my personal opinion. So I'm not going to harp on that for too long. It's unfortunate, really, that that is one of the rituals that uh, is actually a solo ritual, whereas quite a lot of them... Uh, like the following one, the winds of spring, requires people to stand in for all the, the winds and also for there to be a high priestess and, and a high priest. And it just seems kind of odd, again, to include that in a in a book like this. Uh, but there are a few things that you can do um, as, a, as a sort of solo artist. Um, but yeah, there are some, uh, most of the rituals in here are for coven or group workings. So for example, page 62, the boy's rite of passage into manhood. Um, that's a whole ritual, but 
again probably not one you're going to be performing as a as a solo person and i felt like maybe the book had been kind of mistitled because it's not really one witch's way it's just sort of her personal story of group workings that she's invented herself and that are not sabbat rituals and maybe having the book be themed around rituals other than those for the sabbats would have been kind of a, a better idea kind of following up on the heels of what i said about the kind of um a pilloried satanist girl at the beginning um the thing that kind of made it seem very kind of love and lighty to me was on page 82 83 it's a tree honoring celebration and it says here is a right to honor a tree you love choose a park or a great green space where the beauty of spring abounds set up a picnic for later then gather your folk in procession this is another group one with priest and priestess in the lead and those with drums and other instruments bringing up the rear. All who can should wear blossoms or bear them on the way. The priest carries a jug of water, the priestess a small basket of birdseed. It should be noted that on this occasion no ritual blades or sharp objects should be present as similar things have been used to cut and wound the earth. And then basically you just kind of dance around the tree, uh, call it your friend, make offerings to it and then sit and have a pancake. A pancake? A picnic? God, I am still ill. So again, that kind of seems like, I kind of associate the kind of love and light side of things with these kind of rituals, which don't necessarily have a magical purpose. There's no real reason to go and do this. I mean, there's probably spells where you could go to a tree and make offerings to it and you know water it and all the rest of it. But this has no point other than to go out and just celebrate uh, a tree. Uh, a friend in nature now there are practical things that you can do like going around picking up rubbish and stuff uh putting out bird seed in the winter and i do those things as, as like an appreciation of nature but dressing up in flowers and leading a, a group of people to dance around a tree and then leave offerings at it just seems very kind of frilly and insubstantial as an idea uh so i didn't particularly get along well with that again that's just my personal type thing one thing that I did think was kind of weird to include was a hand fasting ritual. Uh, again, the book is very skewed towards being a group, being clergy, being um, in this kind of pagan community. Whereas I think, again, there's lots more people who practice in a solitary way who aren't going to have really much use for a hand fasting ritual or to, indeed to learn about how to perform weddings for other people, which is what this chapter generally is about. Uh, for instance, sort of pe from page 90 to um, page 90, 99 and, and beyond is all about uh, sort of hand fasting rituals, hand parting rituals, services that you'll provide for people, how to go about um, working out the kind of ceremony that person will need. So that whole section of the book is, is basically meaningless to anyone who doesn't want to go out and perform hand fastenings for people as clergy, which... I don't know that a lot of people would. I mean, I would have appreciated if maybe it had been focused more towards planning your own hand fastening as well, which again could have had more meaning for solitaries. But again, I just feel like the whole book was just slanted very much towards people who weren't me or people in you know the sim similar situation of being a solitary practitioner. So I, I just didn't have a huge amount of time for it. Uh, there's quite an interesting story. I'm, I'm going to trigger one here for just mentions of uh, rape and sexual assault but on page 137 there is working to catch a rapist and it is about um, a rapist who was sort of plaguing uh, phoenix the area where the obviously the writer lived and they do it's again a group ritual but 
I didn't mind so much because it was basically recounting a ritual that had actually taken place, which I thought was interesting. And I would have appreciated maybe a little bit of a, a reworked version that could be performed for other purposes. But it was nice to have one of those anecdotal stories in there, which I had expected there to be more of. Uh, I really did like the 152-153 page section, which is Stop Right There, the creation of a hidden agenda detector. Uh, and it's basically just... Uh, kind of an instruction on how to make an ornament uh, which can diffuse negative energy and you know stop all that nonsense going on at home um, which is an interesting idea uh, again I I liked that there's a lot of stuff to do with uh, ghosts and stuff to do with the uh, October chapter obviously because of Samhain uh, there was an interesting right rights for the unborn uh, basically to do with either children um, that didn't make it into the world after being conceived uh, for health reasons or because of abortion. So basically a, a way to sort of mourn the passing of a wanted child and also to mark um, the existence of uh, an unwanted child if you would want to do that uh, and to potentially like do a right to ask that their soul be reborn to someone who does want a child. Uh, so there's things like that, which um, I think could be quite useful to people. It is handed, handled with uh, quite a bit of delicacy, so um, that's good. There's also a pagan preparation for death, 169. And it says, um, we've all heard the horror stories of how someone like Lady Lemuria, a.k.a. Susan Smith, died of a sudden heart attack and was given a private Christian burial by her loving family, while her cover mates were still reeling from the news. Although that name and scenario are fictitious, if there are no written last requests from members of our craft communities, you best be resigned to the fact that conventional kin will soon be singing Amazing Grace. The deceased, who might have preferred cremation, will be pushing up daisies and taking an eternity to make things right with the Lord, not the horned one. You know, the other Lord, that guy with the white robe and stone tablets. Uh, now, I don't dispute that sometimes yes this does happen because people aren't out to their families as pagan or their family don't necessarily support them and it tends to be you know the family who get to arrange the funeral that's just how that works uh, and that is sad and, and unpleasant especially if someone's made their wishes known and those wishes are then ignored however i did not appreciate the insinuation that because you get a christian burial you are somehow ferried off into the christian afterlife in the end, and again, this is a personal opinion, uh, I've thought a lot about, you know, my own death and um, the end of my life and what would happen to me after I was dead and buried because, you know, I've struggled a lot with depression and things like that. Um, and it doesn't really matter to me what happens after I die because I'm not going to be here for that bit. I'll be already be gone. And just to, to put it in one way, it doesn't really matter to me if I am cremated and sprinkled under my favourite oak tree with, you know, panpipe music and a bunch of pagan people there to, to send me off into the arms of the goddess. Or if I am given the same funeral that everyone else I've known in my family who's died has had where they go to the crematorium and people play a CD of Christian music and then they, like, put you behind the curtain. Because... The afterlife is the afterlife and it's where your spirit goes and what they do with your body doesn't matter. If you are a pagan and you don't believe in Christianity, then you're not going to the Christian afterlife because that's not what you believe exists. So it shouldn't really be a factor. Like you shouldn't be standing there going, oh, well, they gave her a Christian funeral. So we've lost her now. She's gone off into the Christian afterlife. I don't really see 
that that is the case at all and it just seemed like a weird thing to say um and also kind of an odd thing to kind of put in people's heads because although I guess things like that do happen I think nowadays a lot of the time you get kind of like a secular service anyway which tends to just be the norm uh, you know at least in my experience with my family it just seemed like a very odd subject to get onto in such a big topic as death and the preparation for death um to get bogged down in that one little kind of idea was a bit weird overall and those are just the things that I've picked out that have kind of not sat right with me or annoyed me a bit while I was reading it overall by and large I would say there's not a huge amount wrong with the book it's written competently there's lots of different stuff in it so some of it's going to resonate with you um I did find that there were things that kind of made me take a step back and go oh okay uh, and and not really gel that well with the author because I felt like they had some views that were not only like different to what I believe in which is fine but also kind of um aggressive towards people with some other different beliefs um, in a way that I didn't particularly care for and also I felt quite a lot of the time as I was reading it that it wasn't really a book written for people like me for people in uh, practicing as a solitary it did feel very much geared towards group workings which is fine but um, I think I was kind of misled a little bit by the cover and, and how it looked in that I found myself skipping over large portions because the rituals were basically useless to me um so you know these five pages of script for a ritual with a group I'm probably not going to use and I don't think a lot of people use rituals that have been pre-written anyway spells short chance maybe but like a full-on ritual I don't think I've ever really done one as written in a book so I was kind of left questioning as to what the use of some of this stuff was uh having said that I would you know read other things by the author um she's quite a good writer uh, and I did enjoy some of the elements in the book some of the stories that she tells um and would tentatively recommend it in the case of people who are sort of looking for uh, rituals and stuff for uh life events and such um which are pre-written so if you're the kind of person who enjoys that this is the book for you if not I would say there's not a huge amount in there aside from those rituals so if you're not interested in reading someone else's rituals and performing them yourself not a huge amount in this book is going to be useful for you I have however recently discovered some interesting kind of autobiographies of witches which was definitely more of what I thought this was going to be like you know the life and times of specific witches because I find that really interesting and, and reading that history and it, again it comes it's very different to the kind of Wicca 101 books which are very repetitive whereas this has I guess more of a personal slant uh, similar to the Village Witch book which I reviewed way back when at the beginning of the podcast uh, by Cassandra Latham-Jones so I'm going to be reading those getting into those as I am starting to feel better thank you smoothie and in the meantime I will see you in the next one bye